This morning we're in John chapter 19. We've taken a break for a little bit concerning the commandments and we're looking at the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. And not only does that turn our hearts and minds toward the events of Easter, but uh, it also gives us a great insight into our Lord and Savior and uh, the things that were on his mind, even in this great hour of the cross. We've pointed out to you that the death of the cross was not from loss of blood or pain, uh, but it was asphyxiation, that as you hung on the cross, your pectoral muscles would break down and you'd have to push up with your feet in order to relieve the pressure and be able to take a full breath. And because of that, these sayings of the cross are not very long, and uh, in the original, even shorter. So he, we don't find the Lord preaching from the cross, making a long dissertation, but just short sayings. And uh, this morning we're on the third saying. The first one that we looked at was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And here, before his own concerns of being thirsty and even the concerns of his mother, he was concerned for sinful people. And uh, we noted that phrase, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they, know not what they do. And then uh, last week we noted that he said a great comforting word to the, the thief that had repented, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today, we're going to come to one of the very touching, heart-rendering scenes from the cross. He says there, beginning in... Uh, Verse 25, and then we'll see him saying, his saying here on down. Now they stood by the cross of Jesus. This is Matthew 19, 25. Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. <clears throat> and so we find two different people addressed here, and we're making it one saying, because they followed right behind each other. He said, woman, behold thy son. And then to John, he said, behold thy mother. Jesus says, come unto his own, and his own received him not. He's now hanging between two thieves, suffering the worst possible death of that time period physically. Remember we said from out of the cross came the word excruciating. And uh, surely the death of the cross was very, very painful. But not only 
Is he suffering physically, but he's suffering spiritually because he's going to take upon himself the sins of the world. And in fact, the precursor to that was when we saw him in the garden and he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, thinking about what it would be like to take upon him the sins of the world. His heart rendering is a heart rendering time for his mother. But, but instead of getting so emotionally tied up in what's happening here, uh, we need to learn the lessons that we can from this. And we're going to learn those through Christ and through Mary and through John. First, let's uh, note Jesus. Here he is suffering. The crucifixion is excruciating, as we said. And Jesus was careful to look into the affairs of his mother. That though the, the greatest act of all history and bearing the sins of the world is taking place, greatest torment that man could ever face is happening. Jesus does not forget his mom. His dad is dead by now. And we find that he's setting the example to honor your parents. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, there in the Ten Commandments, you'll see in verse 12 very specifically it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And so of all the Ten Commandments, we find here one that has a promise to it. If I honor my father and my mother, then I'm going to have my life extended. It's a general rule. We know people can die early through accident or the Lord just taking them home. But there's a, a general promise here that in honoring our parents, our lives will be extended. And so, you know, possibly uh, when we're living a life where we're not honoring our parents, there's some uh, turmoil in our bodies that's going to result in a shortening of life. When we get into the New Testament, he says in Ephesians, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. And so we don't find any stipulation here that you honor them so, just so long and then you don't have to do it anymore. We don't have any stipulations where, that, you know, they were bad parents. Uh, and children sometimes have horrible parents, and uh, and they are abused, and it, and the Bible is not sanctioning that. But nevertheless, it wants us to instead of responding with uh, abuse back, to give honor, and to uh, take the higher ground in those cases. I think it's also important to realize as we read here in John that Jesus 
is around 33 years old from what, what we can determine. And even here at 33, he still uh, looks into the affairs of his parents, of, of the one <coughs> that's still alive. And so uh, it, it's not a matter of age, but if your parents are alive, they are due your honor. And in honor, it's not talking, it's, it's much more than obedience. When a child grows up, he leaves his home. He's no longer underneath the rule of his parents. He doesn't have to do what his parents say. He has no obligation to, you know, take their advice even. But it's talking about honor, recognizing them, letting the world know that this was your parent. It includes um, love, even when <laughs> uh, they're unloving. Because... Uh, we were loved when we were unlovable, weren't we? What it's really calling for some is to go beyond our own ability. And, and so love and gratitude and respect. And uh, again, um, for some, that proves a, a big job to do. But nevertheless, God asks that of us. And uh, here we find, of course, the Lord... Gladly doing it. It's a sacred duty, a command of the Ten Commandments that's not to be overlooked even for the work of Christ. That, that I use service for the Lord as an excuse not to show respect or, or honor unto my parents. Here, in the greatest work of history, facing great torture, he honors his mother. And uh, if your parents are still alive, you don't necessarily have to agree with how they raised you or agree with what they're doing, but they are to be respected. Now, let's look at Mary here. Surely, this is a horrible time in her life. Her son on the cross. If you look back with me in Luke chapter 2, we find that this was even prophesied. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is, the appearance of the Messiah. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ and Christ's Messiah. 
And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those sayings which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto, his mother, said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, simply talking about him coming again as king. And then note what it says here. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's prophesying here that events relative to this child that's being presented in the temple, that it's going to be like a sword to her spirit. That she's going to go through some hard times. And uh, surely her heart is breaking. Just imagine as a parent seeing your own child receiving capital punishment. And not just a quick shock of electricity or a bullet, but this capital punishment of crucifixion, which I told you that there is history records that at least one man spent nine days on the cross before he died. Excruciating. And remember, they broke the legs of the two malefactors so they couldn't push up anymore and they would die quicker. Now I think also, as we think about those sayings and what she's viewing, we can see why the Lord wants her to be taken away. And uh, I didn't mention when I read it, but it said from that very hour he took her. I personally believe that she didn't, I, th I think he removed her from the scene of the cross immediately, that she didn't see him go through all that happened. Maybe she did, but it said that from that very hour, he, he took her. And so surely her heart broke on that Wednesday evening as he's dying on the cross. But as we celebrate the resurrection next Sunday, let us remember that all these events that we see here, that Sunday's coming and the grave is empty and the victory has been won. Now, Note what he says here in addressing her. Um, let me find my place again. And when he, 
in verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. And so when he addresses, when he addresses Mary, he calls her woman. And when we go hunting and Doug Hickman goes with us and sometimes Julie goes with us, we get a kick out of them uh, squabbling with each other and especially when they're playing uh, hearts or some other game that we play in the evenings at the hunting camp. But, but he in a joking way and uh, she takes it, sometimes not joking and then he gets it, but he'll say, woman, come on, let's go back to the tent. And a uh, woman is pretty, uh, well, it's not very, it's pretty unaffectionate. It's pretty neutral. And he looks at his mother and he says, woman, behold thy son. He didn't say mom, mama, mother. But he says, woman. Why did he do that? Here is the one who was his mother, is identified that it was his mother, and he says woman to her. Here's the one that carried him for nine months, who nursed him, who raised him, who taught him. And the term woman seems to be very neutral. It could have applied, he could have addressed any of the group of ladies that were there as woman. She's just kind of thrown in with, with all of them. Well, we can, we can speculate. Was it because he didn't want to wound his mother deeper when he would say the more affectionate term, mom or mother? Well, I don't think so. Was it to protect her from the mocking crowd so she wouldn't have to receive their words? Well, possibly. But I think that uh, the mocking crowd, someone would have recognized her as his mother. It wasn't like he was going to hide her from the whole crowd. But I think there's a deeper reason. Look over in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, you guys seem to be a pretty subdued crowd this morning. Either sleepy or you are listening intently, which I doubt. I see. Well, maybe we need to sing Father Abraham and get your blood circulating. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. 
before I go on, I want you to see here that Mary had children after Jesus. He had some brethren. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And so they sent news in and said, We want to talk to Jesus. And he got the notice. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is doing here is not dishonoring his, his mom. But he is driving home a very important lesson. And that is one's spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ is far more important than the physical relationship that he had with Mary. The Roman Catholic Church has made much over the physical relationship of Mary. And of course they say Hail Marys and number of Hail Marys and it gets them credit with God, I guess. But Christ didn't call her uh, mother, but he called her woman. The Catholics say that, that Jesus' mother was conceived without a sin nature. And so when they talk about the Immaculate Conception, it is not Jesus they're talking about. It's talking about Mary. And that Mary was a sinless woman who bore the sinless Christ. But I want you to look over in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, and look in verse 46. Luke 1 and 46. The angel had come and presented the news to Mary about the birth. And Mary, after being there with Elizabeth and John the Baptist, as she's there, she's overwhelmed in her spirit. And she gives out this poem or this song of rejoicing. And Mary said in verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, who hath regarded the lower state of his handmaiden, and behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She knew that she was significant and would be called blessed, but I want you to particularly note verse 17. She's rejoicing in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. Mary was not sinless. Mary was not immaculately conceived without a sin nature. Because of being his mother and being very close to him physically 
and emotionally. The Roman Catholics has exalted her as a mediator between men and God. Pope Paul VII said, The person who encounters Mary cannot help but encounter Christ likewise. And Mary in the Roman Catholic Church is worshipped. She's to be, when they say their prayers, Hail Mary. When they say their prayers, they call her the Mother of God. And they address her. They say their prayers to her, and who could be more influential and interceding for us than his own mother that he loved and cared for? And so if we get to Mary, then Mary can get to Christ, and she can become a mediator between us and Christ. But Jesus himself taught, this is after this matter, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that we're to pray not to Mary, but we're to pray to our Father which is in heaven. The scriptures never indicate that she's a mediator. They call her mother of God. They call her the queen of heaven. But in this hour of death, he doesn't call her the mother of God or the queen of heaven but he calls her woman. And we see in that Luke passage, the absolute need for every man, woman, and boy and girl to have a savior. How much more could any person do to have credit and credibility and favor with Jesus Christ than his own mother? How much more could you do for Jesus than what Mary did? Yet even Mary, in all of her activity in raising him and cleaning him and feeding him and doing all those things that was in his early years, built no credit spiritually. She needed a savior. And she rejoiced in God, her Savior. And so if somehow we think this morning that we can outdo Mary and gain faith with Christ and God that we'll, we'll make our way into heaven, uh, forget it. Mary needed a Savior. That's a very important point because a whole religion is built upon that lie. And if there are some Catholics who are saved, they got saved by rejecting that, those teachings. Because salvation can only be found in Christ. And except we repent, we shall all likewise perish. Now, we've noted Jesus and we've noted Mary. Now look at John 19, 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. Um, 
There's a lot that John could have said uh, of himself. And, and what we find here, uh, if you just look with me quickly here, in chapter 13 and verse 23, chapter 13 and 23, he said, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And here in 1926, he talks about, uh, he talks about uh, whom Jesus loved. Um, and when Jesus saw the mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, the disciples whom he, whom he loved. And then 20 and verse 2, then she runneth and, and cometh to, she runneth and cometh to Simon and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And then chapter 21 and verse 7, it says, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, who is that talking about? Well, it's talking about John, who was used to write this. He's the penman of this. And John could have said many things about himself. He could have talked about, you know, that he went with Jesus further than other. He went with Jesus into the garden. He went with Jesus when he raised the dead. That John was, of the twelve, that John was one of the special disciples that saw some things that the others didn't. There was... Peter, James, and John were kind of the uh, more of a group that wanted to be with him more. And there was a lot that he could say. But the greatest thing that he thought he could say was this. Jesus loved me. The songwriter said, I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. And so when I, I get off my high horse, and I look at my bottom card. The greatest thing I could say about myself is this. Jesus loved me. God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only thing I have going for me <laughs> is that Jesus loved me. Now, I'd have you note, secondly, that in some, in some cases, we are needed to take the place of God, not his power, but to stand for him. He needed someone to care for his mother. He needed someone to do a job that he couldn't do physically. Though he's all powerful and he works in the affairs of men, he puts into leadership positions of the kingdoms of the world he allows those to come into those places. 
But yet, he works through men. In this world, he uses you and I to do his work. Yes, empowering us. Yes, enabling us. But there has to be a desire to take the yoke upon him, upon us. And so, God uses us. And he flinched in Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead them in his way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell them how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. And think of uh, John here. And the honor bestowed upon him to care for Mary. We don't have anything else said because, as we've already pointed out, that Mary is not to be exalted above any other woman. She needed a savior. But just think about it. No doubt, much of what is, you know, we have no account from uh, after circumcision of the eighth day and that the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with men <laughs> and that covers all the way up through 12 years old and then from 12 to beginning his ministry around 33 the Bible is silent about him and so no doubt John had an opportunity to hear of many 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 wonderful stories from the mouth of Mary It was an honor to be singled out. And you see there, he rapidly received that honor in uh, verse 27 of chapter 19. But let's go back again to uh, Mark chapter 3. And before we get to carried away with uh, John's privilege of taking care of Mary. And as we read before, beginning in Mark 3.31, then came, there came then his brethren and his mother standing without and sent him calling him and the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on them, which set about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see, uh, we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that's as great as or better than he had with his own mom. 
spiritually, we can have a relationship that's superior. God wants to use us to do his work. First, let me say this, that, that, that uh, within the, probably within the week or two weeks, I don't think it's going to be longer than that. I'm going to go uh, to Eastern Oregon and uh, watch my brother body be put in the ground. And yeah, you know, there's many thoughts of heart that goes through me. And uh, I am thankful that I had such a brother and extremely thankful that he was born again. But my cousins, my sister, my relatives there that will no doubt be at the funerals, some of them Uh, are not going to hold my heart in Eastern Oregon. I'm going to want to, as soon as possible, after I've done what I need to do there, come back to my family. my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that we need to get our priorities right. And that though we're not to neglect our physical connections, Let's remember that those physical connections only last for me. Uh, my brother is three years older than me. He's 76, so it only lasted for me 73 years, that physical connection. But my spiritual connection is going to last forever. And so Jesus says, woman, and he says to John, and while we're here, the point is this, while we're here upon this earth, there are certain things which God has chosen that we must do. When he says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, I'm meek in heart. Or learn of me and you'll find rest for your soul, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. That God wants us 
to enter in to labor for him, experience him, be working for him, and to understand that who our parents are and where we were born and, and all of those things are just short-time things. But we have an eternal home where we're going to, this one who's dying on the cross, one of these days, we're going to be heirs and join heirs with our brother. And what does he own? Well, he owns it all. And we're going to share that with him. And when I say brother, I don't mean that to make him say that he's not our God. But I'm saying he wants to share. And he says that we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And so the scene of the cross and this saying can be morbid if we don't understand that, that uh, it was for a short time period. But let us... Remember that we're to honor our parents as he honored his. Okay? And let us remember he has no hands but yours. And he has no feet but ours. And he has no mouth but ours. And he's left us here to be a tool in his hand to tell this world that there is a Savior, and He can save the wretched sinner, and we we give out that testimony. All right, you're dismissed. <laughs>